Welcome to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm Ethan Fleischer. And I'm Kelly Diggs. I'm one of the uh, designers. I ran the exploratory design team for Dominaria. Kelly is on the uh, world building team. Yeah. Now, Ethan also did a lot of work on the world building and knows more about some big chunks of Dominaria's geography in particular than I do. And I, I, I like to think I know a fair amount. That's why I get to be on this podcast. <laughs> That's, that is right. Oh, I should mention, this is uh, part two of our five-part series on Dominaria. So, Ethan, you were on the uh, World Guide writing team mm -hmm. and really sunk your teeth into uh, a couple particular portions of the globe. Uh, one of the ones that you did the most detailed work on was the continent of Tiresiere. Right. Tiresiere, which is the, the setting of a lot of the early magic sets, Antiquities, The Dark, Ice Age, Alliances... Uh, and then Cold Snap was a you know bit later, yeah. but uh, and, and then obviously we, we we go there a little bit in an invasion and time spiral and stuff. But the exciting thing for me is how much time passed in between all those sets. And so when I started working on it, I, I started to realize that like you know it'd be really interesting if I had a map of Tiresiere during the Brothers War and a map of Tiresiere during the Ice Age and a map of Tiresiere in modern times, and I overlaid them and looked at like where the different things were, you know, like, is the capital of Argive important? Like, does it turn out that it's in the same place where, uh, you know, the capital of Kjeldor is? Yes. Yes, it did. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. all these cities were, like, built on top of the ruins of each other, just like real ancient cities. Right. And it was very interesting to dig my teeth into that. This is where it's good to mention, I think, to bear in mind that— um, Sorry, but Dominaria is not a real place. Like, there's there's no real actual Dominaria where those things you just said are true. Right. The reason that that is true is through the diligent work of prior creative teams, most particularly, you know, Pete Venters, uh, head of the continuity team, who made the globe that we talked about last week, this globe of Dominaria, custom-made globe. I know that when Pete first came on to continuity, the canonical map of Tiresiere uh, was what he and I both independently called the potato map. And so he set about kind of whipping that into shape. And if you look at the various maps of Tiresiere in various eras as the, you know, empires rise and fall, sea levels rise and fall, uh, glaciers, uh, you know, retreat and expand, all of the coastlines line up because yeah. everyone was looking at this globe. This globe was, and is, by the way, the canonical source of geographical information about Dominaria. And uh, it's really, really cool. One of the things I love in world building is when people do dig that deep and build that thoroughly to remain consistent in a way that feels like a real world, even though, again, it's not. So in a lot of ways, Tiresiere, the continent of Tiresiere, because of how much history it's had, feels more like a real place than anywhere else in Dominaria. It's had these waves of migration from different directions and different people from different cultures over the years. And yeah, and the coastlines changed. I figured out like what's underwater, what's not underwater. Because we weren't really able to use much of that research in the art book or in the set even, there's very few cards set in Tiresiere. And so, and the art book is kind of reflective of what ended up in the set. So I thought it would be great to be able to share some of that fun stuff with you guys and just kind of talk through the, the history of this continent where so many important events happened. 
So the earliest civilizations that we know about in Dominaria actually aren't even human civilizations. There were dragons that ruled the earth. These would be the first the elder dragons, Nicol Bolas and his uh, relatives, and then later the uh, primeval dragons. Right, Darigas and Croesus and that gang. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, they ruled over everyone. Um, there were some races that existed before humanity. You know, the elves and the dwarves, for instance, were around before humans ever showed up. Early on, the primevals ruled over everyone very cruelly, and uh, eventually they were overthrown by this group of wizards called the Numina. Where on the timeline are we at this point? Uh, we're probably around, well, let's see. We, the usual dating system is called Argivian Re- Reckoning, which uh, is based on the birth year of Urza and Mishra. Right, who were born in the same year, but not at the same right, time. Right, I believe first Urza day. was born on the first day of the year, and Mishra was born on the last day of the yes. year. Yes, yes. So we're about 16,000 years before the birth of Urza and Mishra. I'm sorry, 17,000. They uh, trapped the primeval dragons. At this point, I'm not really sure what the uh, Elder Dragons were up to, but they're still around somewhere. Yes. At this point, the, the Primevals had been ruling humanity. The Numina stole their powers and trapped them. And one of the places that one of them was trapped is in the present-day location of the city of Argivia. That's where Treva, I believe, was, uh, was trapped. Mm-hmm. So there was a monastery built on top of the uh, underground vault where she was buried, Eventually, a library was built there. The Phyrexians destroyed it, and then later, uh, Rith and uh, the other dragons came and, and brought Treva out of there, where she wreaked havoc briefly during the invasion. Right, and that was during the Plane Shift novel, which elaborated on a lot of the uh, a lot of the history of the primeval dragons. Right. So, a quick note for the obsessive timeline keepers, there have been a couple different dates given for the uh, Primeval Dragons rule. We're more or less using the dates that come from the Legion's novel. That is the more recent source than others, and it meshes best with what we know of some of Dominaria's later history. Yeah, it makes it so that the uh, Primeval Dragons aren't ruling at the same time that the Thran Empire existed. That would be weird if there were dragons ruling over the Thran Empire, because that's certainly not reflected in anything that I know about. Which brings us to the Thran Empire. Right. So Teresier was inhabited by humans and elves and dwarves, and then these Thran came in. These were some different people that migrated in, probably from uh, from the east. The Thran were human. They were humans, yes. They were an ethnic group of humans from probably somewhere uh, in the east. They kind of pushed the elves and dwarves out, and they built a great empire. They carved out this huge empire that covered about two-thirds of the continent of Tresier. They had eight great cities. There were eight patriarchs of the Thran, and each of them founded a city or took over a city that was already there, perhaps. And there was a frontier in the west where there were other people, um, but yeah, they, they ruled over um, most of the continent. They even had colonies in other places. So we've seen like the Thran Manor Rig, I think is probably the most notable example uh, of, of some sort of Thran facility way out over in Shiv, which was thousands and thousands of miles away. So the Thran had, had very good uh, transportation capabilities. They could, they could travel vast distances. There was a Thran colony founded in Kalaman. We saw some of their artifacts in the Portal Second Age set. Yep. Uh, and we've seen various other evidence of Thran society elsewhere. 
And there, there were other civilizations elsewhere in the world also. None of them were as technologically advanced yes, as the, the Thran. Yes, the Thran specialized in artifacts. Yeah. It's worth noting that the culture of Jalfir is almost as old as the Thran culture, mm -hmm. um, and they mastered the use of magic in a wizardly way long before the Thran did. They found the division of magic into five colors and created these these disciplines based on that long before the Thran did. The Thran instead were treating all mana kind of the same and capturing it in these power stones. Right. They didn't channel mana the way a wizard would do. Yes, they would capture magic, mana and power stones and then use those power stones to power their machines. Right. So then there was a, a huge war. There was a, uh, a Thran named Yogmoth uh, basically took power in the capital of Halcyon and got a hold of a planar portal to Phyrexia and started bringing people there and turning them into cyborg zombies. And so uh, then there was a big fight. Yep, that's bad. That's bad. So at the climax of this battle, uh, Yogmoth bombed all eight of the uh, Thran cities with aerial bombardment and destroyed them. And he and his followers escaped into Phyrexia, where they remained for millennia, constantly trying to get back to Dominaria, which was their original homeland. And the destruction of Halcyon in particular is immortalized in a Thran metal engraving on the card Fall of the Thran. Mm -hmm. And then you've also got Evra Halcyon Witness, this kind of avatar thing um, that witnessed the demise of Thran civilization at Halcyon. So uh, there are echoes even way back, uh, you know, almost 10,000 years later of those apocalyptic events. I'd say it was Dominaria's first apocalypse, but it probably wasn't. I'm sure the dragons had some apocalypses. They along probably the way. did. They yeah. seem like just the sort of people who would cause apocalypses. They sure do. So we see some other people move in around this period, either before or after the Thran. Uh, the, one of the most notable uh, groups to come into Teresia at this point are the Falaji. These are desert dwellers. Uh, some of them are nomads, some of them found cities, but uh, the, the interior of the continent is very arid and hot. And so uh, they live there mostly. And then along the, uh, the eastern coasts come some new seafaring people who found you know, cities like um, Penrigan, the capital of Argive, and Corlys, uh, maybe, uh, maybe Krug. So you have these seafaring merchant kind of types and these uh, desert dwellers. They have an uneasy peace. Sometimes war breaks out between them. Sometimes somebody does a land grab. But the thing that really sets things off are these two Argivian brothers named Urza and Mishra. Yeah, and uh, the Brothers' War or the Antiquities' War between Urza and Mishra, even if you knew nothing else about Magic Story, uh, you know, in 1995 or whatever, when I started playing, if, if you knew one thing about Magic Story, that was the thing you knew. Yeah. Um, I didn't know much about it at all, but I still named my hamsters Urza and Mishra. Nice. One of them was, like, kind of spunkier, and one of them was a little more dull. And I knew that—I knew somehow, I don't know how, but I just kind of had divined from somewhere that Urza had won the Brothers' War. Mm -hmm. um, so I named the spunkier hamster Urza. Oh. Oh. Um, he did not survive their first escape attempt, and it turned out that uh, Mishra was a mastermind of escape and a zombie hamster who survived crippling injuries and was just a complete terror creature. Um, so kind of appropriate, uh, except for the part where Urza uh, died yeah. early. But anyway, sorry, that was my hamster story. Yeah, well, how it ended up was um, Mishra ended up being enslaved by the Falaji, actually, but he rose within the ranks 
due to his great uh, abilities at artifice, aided by this power stone called the Weak Stone. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Urza and Mishra traveled um, into uh, the Caves of Koilos with their mentor Tokasia. The Caves of Koilos are another one of those places built on top of another place um, that they were at the site of uh, Halcyon, uh, the Thran capital. And they found this power stone. And in fact, it was the power stone that was holding shut the gate to Phyrexia that was keeping Yawgmoth and his horrible cyborg zombie creatures, the Phyrexians, from coming back. So they took that, pulled it apart, split it between them, the Might Stone and the Weak Stone. So Urza got the Might Stone. I think he named them. Uh, he probably what did. He probably did. Yeah, and uh, that that moment of them splitting the Power Stone is shown on um, the Antiquities War saga, mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, emphasizing the fact that their, their enmity became inevitable on, right. on that day. Because they both wanted the other half and thought that the other half belonged to them by right. Yep. Um, but yeah, Mishra fell in with the Falaji. Urza rose within the ranks of uh, this, the kingdom of Krug, which and eventually you know, became part of a federation of, of nations that were united against the Falaji. It was uh, Argive and Corliss and Krug. Uh, huge war. They exhausted all of the resources of the continent. They mined up all the metal. They cut down all the trees. They were out of resources. And so they turned their eyes to the island of Argoth, which was uh, off the uh, south, southeastern coast, uh, which was covered in beautiful forests. They went there, they despoiled it, destroyed everything there, and eventually Urza detonated a ma- ancient magical artifact called the Golgothian Silex, which yeah. blew up the entire island that he was standing on, uh, cracked the tectonic plates nearby, caused huge amounts of damage, not only to the nearby continent of Teresier, but uh, ultimately to the entire plain of Dominaria, which uh, we'll get to the results there shortly. Yeah, yeah. That moment is depicted in kind of an abstract way on uh, Urza's Ruinous Blast. Mm -hmm. You see him detonating the Golgothian Silex. The Silex itself is kind of mysterious. My understanding, at least, is that it was already ancient when Urza found it. Yeah, I do have a theory about it. Um, I believe it was made to destroy an empire to wipe the slate clean. Oh. And it has writing from various cultures on it, including uh, Sumifans, who live in Teresier. We haven't really talked about them too much yet, but we'll get to them a little later. And also, it has Falaji script on it as well. So I believe that this was created by some of the people that live to the west of the Thran to destroy the Thran Empire, but uh, Yagmoth got to them before they did. And so the Silex was still there. Yeah, before. it was just lying around, waiting for somebody to blow up an empire with yep. it. Did yep. it? Yep. So that went very badly for Dominaria. It fractured civilization on Teresier, leading to this an era known as the Dark Age, shown in a set called The Dark. During the Dark Age, a little bit after 400 Argivian Reckoning, Joda is born. Joda is a direct descendant of Urza or possibly Mishra. It's very, very ambiguous. It's as deliberately to who ambiguous. The father of Urza's legal son is. Yes. Urza and Mishra aren't even the only candidates. It could have been... Um, Thanos. Thanos, yeah. So Urza's apprentice. Urza, not a great husband, it turns out, or a great Actually, father. Actually, we, we definitely know it's, it wasn't Thanos. Yeah, that's because right. Because when Urza and Joda finally meet, Urza 
is able to perceive that they have some genes in common. That's right. That's right. Um, so Joda is the oldest of the people who are still alive on Dominaria today by a lot. He's like 4,000 years old and then some. Well, not counting Nicol Bolas. Not counting Nicol Bolas. So I guess he's not on Dominaria this minute. Not right now, yeah. Um, but of the of the people who have cards in Dominaria this set, mm. a lot of them are immortal, but Joda is the most. Uh, yeah, the, the oldest. The, the, the oldest by far. Um, he's also by a long shot, the closest living relative of hers, a great grandson or possibly second cousin several times removed, depending. Anyway, after the Dark Age, we have the Ice Age. The Ice Age went on for a long time, and sources differ a little bit about exactly how the Silex Blast caused the Ice Age. Some say that it changed the axial tilt of the planet. Some say that it caused the mana to flow badly. Something really bad happened to the environment as a result of the Silex Blast. It may just have been more like a magical nuclear winter. I mean, that's always yeah. how I've described it. Yeah, that's good. I like that. So Ice Age went on for thousands of years, and it caused a lot of disruption. A lot of people had to move because glaciers were coming and, and you know, freezing out their food supplies and things. So you had people coming down into Tiresier from the Northland, which was the, the North Polar Continent, and that's why you have you know all these strange creatures, like all of a sudden woolly mammoths are here, and saber-toothed tigers are here, and dinosaurs and stuff. They used to live up there. People named Bjorn. Yeah, people with Nordic names. Yes. And then we also had people coming from faraway places, like Sarpedia. You had Acacian refugees coming all the way up, you know, up north from the southern hemisphere and settling down in a kingdom called Storgard. But eventually even Storgard was swallowed by the glaciers and a few brave Storgardians set out and founded the kingdom of Keldor. Keldor, which is distinct from Keld. Right. Um, there's actually an apology about that in um, one of the Ice Age novels. I believe it's in Eternal Ice by Jeff Grubb uh, that begins, history is not always kind to those who record it. So yeah, we have we have a place called Keldor and a place called Keld. Yeah. We also have many, many characters whose name begins with J. Yeah, yeah, just working on the set, trying to keep straight Joda, Joyra, Jaya, and Josu that we were all stuck with. And there's a famous family from Tiresier. Right, I was very excited. I was like, yes. can we put a Carthalian? We, yes. we have all these lineages. We have an Umazawa. We have this descendant of Urza. We have Sisei's descendant. Yep. And I was like, oh, can we put a Carthalian? There were all these Carthalians in the, the old comic books. I was willing to go for it. I was like, yep, th th you know what? They're, that's going to make Ethan and like three other people super happy. Hi, guys. You're probably listening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that's great. Let's do it. What kind kind of names do Carthalians have, Ethan? Mostly starting with J. They mostly start with J. Yeah. That's kind There's of their thing. like J one or two exceptions and, and yeah. just like all the famous ones that you've heard of start with J. Yeah. So uh, that was a no. Maybe next time. Yeah. Yeah. Too bad. <laughs> um, what else happened? Oh. Oh. Merit Lage. Merit Lage. So the location of where Merit Lage was buried was inside ice. Well, let's, let's hold on. All right. All right you're right. What, what is, is Merit Lage? That's the obvious question. Well, we don't know what Merit Lage is exactly. We sure we don't. We do know a few things that Merit Lage is not. Merit Lage is not a planeswalker. Correct. Merit Lage is not mortal. Right. Um, Merit Lage, of course, is on the card Dark Depths. There's this card that makes her or possibly her avatar. Um, mm -hmm. She is female by convention. The avatar is a gigantic mass of tentacles shrouded in darkness. Yeah, it's a 2020 black indestructible creature. Mm -hmm. um, it's astonishing how little 
we actually know about Merit Lage, how little there actually is in the text about Merit Lage, what she was, what she did, what she was capable of. She wasn't a planeswalker, but she is reported to have appeared on multiple planes. Um, who knows? But uh, she was entombed beneath the yeah, sea. in the Endless Sea, which yeah. is uh, north of uh, Tericier, in between the Tericier and the sort of big peninsula that, that pokes down near it. We're not even sure. Is she still there? Maybe. I think Ain't she's Helen. still there. Probably still there. I don't think anybody checked. Nobody checked. Yeah. Somebody may have, you know, sacrificed Vampire Hex Mage or something. <laughs> I <laughs> sure hope not. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, that's really all I'm going to say about Mary Lage, because honestly, I want to do something with her later. I don't want to ruin anything. I mean, yeah. I, don't know. I think it sounds cool. All right. So, Jaya Ballard was uh, another famous uh, Ice Age personality who's yep. probably a little more relevant to uh, Dominaria, given that she's in the set. Yes. Thinks she was uh, a planeswalker. Uh, thinks she is mortal. Um, she is She's a little different from Mary Lage in those regards. She's about 1,500 years old, making her one of our, one of our older... Uh, one of our older characters, but not as old as Joda. All right, I'm going to run through more historical events now. All right, so Freya Lise, who you may remember from Commander 2014, was a uh, another uh, person born during the Ice Age who was a planeswalker. She cast a huge spell called the World Spell that ended the Ice Age, brought in the Flood Age. This had a big impact on the geography. Everything had been so weakened by the Silex Blast and all of the sea levels rising caused vast areas of the continent to be covered in sea. So now instead of having a continent, we have several great islands. So over in the east, we have the biggest one, which is New Argive, which, you know, politically was the Balduvians and the uh, Keldorans, you know, had a dynastic marriage and formed a new kingdom of New Argive. That's right, the, the son of Lovisa Cold Eyes and the daughter of King Darien. And then over in the, uh, in the northwest, we have the great island of Gulmini, which was the setting of a lot of the action of the novel Planeswalker when Urza and Zancha were, uh, you know, finding themselves. The parts where they weren't planeswalking were mostly in Gulmini. Not much else has happened there in recent years. Obviously, a lot of action happened during the Brothers' War and stuff in that area. Uh, south of Gulmini, we have Almaz, which uh, was the scene of the action in the novel Song of Time. This is home most famously to Sumifan song mages, who had a sort of primitive form of magic where you had to sing in order to cast the spells but uh, they didn't have nearly as good of a control over mana as you know, the Jamuran wizards or the, the more recent wizards. Uh, and then the, uh, the island of Yavamaya, which we see a lot of in Dominaria, uh, which is kind of in between Almaz and New Argive. Yeah, and in the wake of the world spell, Yavamaya woke up and became a sentient thing. Um, right. And Multani is its is its voice is sort of its uh, its its uh, an avatar essentially. Right? Yeah, uh, in much the same way that Titania uh, was the avatar of Argoth. In fact, in exactly the same way, yeah. they were both Morrow sorcerers. Right. Uh, okay. So as the floods happened and the geography changed, there were there were plagues. There were all kinds of rearrangements. Um, one of those involved the Shilton Empire. Right. This was uh, an empire. Its capital is basically where Benalia is right now, so it's sort of a precursor to Benalia. They controlled quite a lot of the area to their west. Benalia isn't even on Tericier. It's on the right. continent of Arona, several thousand miles to the east, but they were able to island hop across the Spice Isles and kind of overextend themselves mm -hmm. um, into this empire. And they took over New Argive for not very long, about 40 years. Yep. 
there was a rebellion against them, and it was ably assisted by one of these Semifin song mages who prayed to Sarah, and the Sarah angels came and drove the uh, shale tons out of their uh, occupational capital in the city of Epitir. Yep. And... Uh, their empire collapsed relatively soon after. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll actually talk about that a little more in a future podcast because yeah. it intersects the history of the Saren Church. Right. So at that point, the Argivians, you know, again, had control over their own destiny. But uh, within a mere millennium... <laughs> yeah, we don't know much about the next millennium, do we? Uh, yeah, the uh, the Phyrexians invaded. Yep. There was one big force led by Tsavo Tavak over at Koilos, which was where the, the portal to Phyrexia was. Right. And then there was this other force that just kind of marched through, led by a, a Phyrexian priest named Godfrey. That is true. Yeah. That, that is accurate. He, he marched through the various Argivian cities, just killing every man, woman, and child, until he came to the capital of Argivia. Was he a completed Argivian? Was he that guy? He was. He was an Argivian archivist. And when he came to his former place of employment, which was the the great library, the greatest library in the world, the library of Argivia, he uh, burned the entire library, every book but one. That's harsh. Which happened to be the book that explains that the Phyrexians had originally been the Thran. Right. That's how anybody in modern times knows about that. That's right. So then you've got the mending, uh, which we're also gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more in a future podcast about the mending. Uh, that was the events of Time Spiral and how things stopped being quite so awful on Dominaria. And in the time since then, uh, Yavamaya has spread across the sea. Multani was rendered inert, I think not for the first time, during the events of Time Spiral. Right, and by, by spread across the sea, like there are literally, there, the Avamaya has these giant trees called Magnagoths that are a thousand, a thousand feet, feet tall, tall right? or more. And they're, they're rooted in the seabed in the uh, in the, the shallow seabed between uh, Yavamaya and the adjoining islands, and the, have even spread onto those islands. So the the, the forest has exceeded the bounds of the landmass that it is located on. Yeah, it's basically like a gigantic scale mangrove swamp. So as Multani is waking up. Um, Yavamaya is kind of aggressively expanding. It has his will and his drive, but he's not all there. He's not all put together. Um, and Yavamaya gets kind of mean, kicks out, uh, kicks out sapient life. Uh, not for the first time. This happened very early on in Yavamaya's existence. So as as Multani puts himself together uh, and wakes up, he's uh, he's he's his anger at what happened to him is kind of channeling as as anger at sentient life, you know, which which comes into the story a bit. And then uh, then we have we have the present day. Great. Well, um, we're not going to tell you too much about what is happening on the other islands of Tereciere because we'd like to save something for the future. Yep. But uh, you, you did get to see what's going on in Yavamaya. Yep. And uh, uh, on a little bit in New Argive, our one dude, Baird. That's true. We got uh, our one. The, and the, the, the sage of Latnam, which is one of the uh, one of the islands to the west. Yeah, Latnam has a very complicated history that we're not going to get into. Yeah. I recommend reading Baron Bohr's um, Multiverse and Review blog. He has a very good... Uh, discussion of what all happened in Latinam. Yeah, which is a great uh, segue to our history question of the week. All right. This is from Berendt himself. What is the relation between the Elder Dragons and the Primeval Dragons? What are the dates for the Elder Dragon War and the rule of the Primevals and the Numina? First off, I do want to give a shout out to Baron's work uh, on his blog, Multiverse and Review. It was absolutely invaluable to us. It really it was. was. like, we have all these books. We have a, a library that has all the stuff in it, but we how would we know where to look for this or that thing? Well, 
Looking at Barron's blog was extremely helpful yeah, to know where to look. How we found our sources. Um, so uh, my answers to these questions are going to be a bit of a cop-out because the answers in both cases are really we, we don't know exactly. I can tell you what we do now. Um, uh, the Elder Dragon War has never been given a date. The whole thing is shrouded in mystery. Uh, it happened sometime between when Bolas came into existence, which he claims was like, 20, negative 20,000 AR, and when other stuff happened, um, which was in like the 18, 17,000 before, before the birth of Urza and Mishra. So that's maybe the span, or maybe not. We don't even know really what the Elder Dragon War was. Um, maybe someday we'll find out. But uh, as, uh, as Baron himself uh, really did an excellent survey of the actual information on the Elder Dragon War is extremely, extremely lacking. Um, similarly, the exact relationship between the Elders and the Primevals isn't known for sure. We already had the Elder Dragons, um, who have this special type, Elder, uh, you know, that they are, they are ancient, they're primal, they're connected to the Ur-Dragon, the source of all dragonkind. Um, and then you have the Primevals, who also, you know, much was made of their connection to the Ur-Dragon, you know, that they each represented a phase in the dragon life cycle and everything. Um, the Ur-Dragon, of course, we finally saw as a card in C-17. Um, my best guess is that the Primevals are the second generation after the Elders, that they are still incredibly powerful, kind of, you know, not quite godlike, but but very, very powerful, um, but a little bit further removed from that kind of... Uh, pure draconic essence that is the Ur-Dragon. Um, that is a guess. Uh, don't call it a retcon if we contradict that sure. in a future story. We, we do know that Chromium had a mate uh, yep. that was one of the other Elder Dragons, yes. Piru, who never yeah. appeared on a card. But, yes, uh, who was uh, slain by the Black Blade. Right. Which is referenced in the flavor text of the Black That's Blade. That's right. Yeah, we got we got that little reference that in, in to that time Dakon Black Blade killed an Elder Dragon. That's right. Uh, our geography question of the week Kaburi asks, uh, where did the various bits of wrath overlay onto the plane? Were they concentrated on one particular region or sprinkled all over the world? Wrathy overlay. Let's let's start with what the heck is that? So there was an artificial plane called Wrath that was created by the Phyrexians. And the way it worked was they had this gigantic machine the size of a city in the middle of it. And it created this substance called Flowstone that would obey the mental commands of the Evancar of Wrath, who was the, the leader, sort of the, the appointed governor uh, of the, the Phyrexian forces there. And the plan was to make this plane and make it big enough that uh, they could stage all of their armies there and then use some sort of powerful you know, powerful interplanar teleportation device to overlay the entire plane physically on top of Dominaria. So you had all of these chunks of wrath essentially teleporting in various locations on Dominaria covered with Phyrexian death machines and then they would just be able to attack the totally unprepared Dominarians wherever they happen to end up. So we do know where a few specific things ended up and some places where, where Phyrexians and, and pieces of flowstone and things went. Um, the most important location is that machine that makes the flowstone. That's called the stronghold. That's where the Evancar lives. And the, the stronghold and the mountain that, uh, that it was in were uh, landed in Urborg. Which uh, you know we see a lot of that, and that's where that's where Belzenlock has set up his headquarters. That's right in um, Dominaria. That's right. So the the stronghold landed in Urborg um, and was a super important uh, 
location in the battles during the invasion itself. Um, during the invasion, it was pretty well wrecked. There were some dwarven lava mancers who uh, who kind of uh, wrecked the place with lava. But uh, Belzenok got that sorted out. He's got some wizards of his own to uh, to fix things up. And uh, yeah, so we have the we have the cabal inside the stronghold in Urborg, which is a nice little turducken of evil things from Magic's past. <laughs> Yeah, um, so a bunch of armies showed up in Koilos over in Tiresier and uh, caused a lot of trouble for the Metathran armies there. Uh, by the time we get to the Time Spiral block, there are Flowstone channelers who have learned to master, to an extent, the Flowstone. They don't have, it's very risky and dangerous stuff, but they do it. Uh, and then one other little thing, uh, the, the, there's, a, there's a card called Core Haven that isn't really referenced in the fiction anywhere, but it's clearly like, this is the place where the, the core hang out to be safe from the Evancar's evil minions. Yeah, it's actually legendary, isn't it? Yeah, it's a legendary yeah. land. So it, it existed in Wrath, and um, when I was working on, uh, working on making the map for Dominaria, I discovered that uh, one of the Magic the Gathering Tactics uh, game had oh. a map of Tresier. And I could kind of figure out what each of the little things on the map corresponded with. And I, you know, I was looking at all my different overlays. Oh, this must be Argivia, and this is the ruins of Krug. There's the angel statue that is the statue of Sarah at Epitier. Right. Right. Yeah, that was great because it was like, oh, this is clearly somebody was thinking about this because yeah. this is right where it should be. This is an obscure But there was reference. something that was that was in the, the Balduvian steppe that didn't correspond with any city from any period that I was aware of. And I thought, I was like, what? what is this? There's nothing here. There's nobody, there, nobody set up a city during the Ice Age here or during the Brothers War period or any, anything that I'm aware of. And I thought to myself, well, what if it's the core haven oh. deposited there during the Wrathy overlay? Mm -hmm. And so now there are a bunch of uh, core living in the uh, Balduvian steppe and they've got a city sitting at a 45 degree angle in the middle of it or something. <laughs> something. I like that. Yeah. Thanks for listening to uh, the Magic Story Podcast, and tune in next week. I'm Ethan Fleischer. And I am Kelly Diggs. We'll talk to you next week.